Good evening, beloved brothers and sisters. What a joy, privilege, honor it is for me to be able to open up God's word and share it with you. The things that God has shown me through study of this portion of scripture in 2 Timothy. And so with that said, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 14. The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy this. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as an as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly divide, handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened and they are upsetting the faith of some. But the firm, God's, firm, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let us pray. Mighty Father in heaven, as we open the words tonight, I cannot proclaim them without the aid of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you just use him through me to proclaim your word because your word is truth and we are to learn from it. And so therefore, we pray for your blessing. Amen. Did you know that Jesus Christ isn't the only way to salvation? Did you know that, that you must be baptized to be saved? Did you not know that? Or did you know that eventually everyone, everyone is going to get to go to heaven? Oh, and by the way, God is dead. He died back in 1966. Well, false doctrines like these, <clears throat> as well as others, are nothing new to Christ's church. False teachers came upon the scene early in the church when Judaizers told believers that, yes, you're saved by faith through grace, are saved by grace through faith. However, you've got to be circumcised. Jesus warned his disciples, that false teachers would be showing up as well. And they would be clothed like beautiful lambs, but inside were ravenous wolves. The apostles Paul and Peter continually warned the churches that they served that false teachers would come upon the scene and they had to be careful that they be not left unchecked or they would raise havoc 
amongst the churches. And so we understand that the Apostle Paul, even here in our scripture this evening, brought out false teaching. There were two men, Hymenius and Philetus, that were teaching one of the churches, if not many of the churches, that the resurrection had already taken place and as a result was affecting the faith of some. And so we need to understand that this false teaching is not just a problem for other people. It is not a problem for other churches. It is a problem for every believer and we must make sure we know how to understand and resist their false teaching. And so therefore, the sermon of my title, the title of my sermon tonight is How to Resist False Teaching. And I think a better way would be some ways to resist false teaching. Because what I share tonight is only a drop in a bucket of what needs to be done in our efforts to be true to God's word and preach sound doctrine, to preach in season, out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with long-suffering and yet with gentleness. And so the main big picture that I want us to look at tonight is this. False teaching is a reality, and we must learn how to recognize it and resist it. And there are three areas that I I want us to look at. And the first is resisting false teachers begin with remembering what is of most importance. Also, resisting false teachers continues by seeking God's approval above all else. And lastly, resisting false teachers culminates in the faithfulness of God. So first, we find in verse 14 that Paul is telling Timothy, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. And the things that Timothy was to remind them of flow back up in earlier portions of chapter 2, particularly starting at verse 8 and running through verse 13. And so the first thing that we are to remember, Paul says in verse 8, is remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David according to my gospel. And if I misquoted that from the ESV, it's because I spend most of my time in the New American Standard. So bear with me, please, because I'll jumble them up. However, we are. Christ was raised from among the dead and appeared to many people. And we get this picture in a big scope of a way 
in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul addressed the Corinthians said, I delivered to you that which was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried, and that he arose on the third day according to scripture. And he was seen by many people. He was seen by Mary. He was seen by the other women according to the gospels. He was seen by the disciples. He was seen by above 500 people at one time. The proof of Christ's resurrection is solid, folks. And don't let anyone ever tell you that Christ is not raised from the dead. For if he wasn't, and if he isn't, our faith is absolutely worthless. We might as well just pack up and go home. But that's not because he has been raised from among the dead. But he's also... And it shows his humanity. It was the man, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for us. Yes, he's God incarnate. He is the God-man. But the man, Jesus Christ, remember? It says that we have one mediator between God and man. Well, who is it? The man, Jesus Christ. And I don't take away from his deity by saying that. Because he then were to remember that he is the offspring of David. And remember the covenant that God made with David? That David's throne would be established and that the Lord God would set someone on it that would rule forever? Jesus Christ was and is the promised Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, as Peter declares in the book of Acts. And so we are to remember We're to remember his humanity. We're to remember his deity. We need to remember that God in Christ Jesus came down and dwelt among us. And they beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And so we are to remember Jesus Christ. But we're also to remember God's word. Because God's word, as Paul puts it, cannot be thwarted or silenced. And we have proof throughout Scripture that this is true for us. Why, just look at Isaiah 55. It says, as the rain comes down and replenishes the earth and then through evaporation comes back, so is my word that goes forth from me. It goes out, but it does not come back to me until it accomplishes every purpose I intended it to accomplish. God's word, we're to remember that. And nothing and no one can shut it off. Hebrews 3, uh, 4.12 even tells us that, that God's word is, is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so we're to remember God's word. A third thing that we are to remember is we are to remember whose we are. And I see this in verses 11 through 13, where the apostle Paul says it is a trustworthy statement that if we have died with Christ, 
we will be raised with Christ. If we endure, then we will reign with Christ. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so as I studied this, it gripped me that what we see here is who we are. We belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no doubt about that. And as we think about that, we can say this then, not if we have been died with Christ, because those of us that are truly believers and belong to him, it is not if, it is since. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that we are his And so it also tells us, though, that we are to remember whose we are by we are being called to endure, if we endure. And for the believer, again, I think we can say with clarity, since we endure, because we are called to to endure and persevere. And we are, so we need to remember that that is part of who we are. And he also then says, that you are once called to be to remain faithful. We need to remain faithful in all things. If we are unfaithful, what does it say? That he will deny us. And because he cannot deny himself, he is faithful. And since he is faithful, we need to be faithful as our Lord is faithful. And so we remember We remember Jesus Christ. We remember the word of God. We remember whose we are. Which leads us then to the second, my second point. And I already flipped the page. False teachers continue by seeking God's approval above all else. In verse 15, we read, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so we're called then to seek God's approval. And we do that by being diligent students of God's word. I like what the NSAB says because it uses the word be diligent to show yourself approved. And as a young believer, all I had was the King James and it says study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker who needs not to be shamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so we are to be diligent. And that that thought of diligence uh, comes as, as a soldier. Uh, we are to be unashamed workers, but I need to back up. I got ahead of myself. Because that, that idea of being diligent means to be steadfast. It means to grab a hold of something with tenacity, with vigor, with joy, and hang on and follow through. 
and we, it is something that we need to do. We can picture this as an illustration of a soldier who has been sent out on recon, on a recon mission. He was to go out and he was to survey the enemy lines. He was to look at where the enemy was. He was to try to glean the, the strength of the enemy, the position of the enemy, and so forth and so on. He had to be diligent to where he could come back and give a sound, truthful report. If he didn't, it would be disastrous. Because if he did not do his job and the troops went forward not knowing where the enemy were, not knowing their strength, etc., it could have been disastrous. And so, therefore, we must be ones who are diligent to approve, be approved by God. We do that how? Well, it's by being unashamed workers. Back in the earlier parts of chapter 2, it's also like being a soldier, being an athlete, or a farmer, as noted in verses 4 through 6, who accurately presents God's word. And the use of accurately here comes about in like in the sense of the trades, carpenter, masons, etc., engineers. And the idea here is to cut it straight. And you have to learn to cut God's word straight. And you do that by digging in and cross-referencing and not just going to one verse, but looking at context and following back and forth to where you get the whole picture of what God intended his word to be. It's like the mason who lays out his bricks. And then he lays out his bricks, but when he gets his first row finished, he's off. He's off only one thirty-second of an inch. But he says, that's okay. I'm going to keep going. But yet, by the time he finishes the wall, instead of being one thirty-second off, it could be as much as an inch off. That isn't going to... That's not going to pass inspection, folks. And he'll have to break it and tear it down and start all over. But that's what it means to cut it straight. And so, therefore, we must do our utmost to be workers who accurately handle the word of God. On the other hand, we are to deliberately avoid certain things. And that is irrelevant, godless Babel. Babel is used here in verse 16 carries the thought of being empty or soundless. Empty or soundless arguments with false teachers. And the same truth is seen in verse 14 where the word quarrel is used. That they aren't quarrel about words. And so therefore we want to make sure that we are deliberately avoiding these God, uh, these godless arguments or babble with others. And that, and also, 
in verse 24, there's a, re, there's a way that we are told to do this. And it says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So if we go in like bulls in the china shop, say, I'm going to take care of that false teacher, what's going to happen? Are we going to honor our Lord? No. Are we going to be winsome and possibly get that person's ear that we could share Christ with him? No. And so therefore, we want to be gentle, but we also want to be able to correct. And that leads us to our third point, Resisting false teachers culminates in the faithfulness of God. And God, first we find that God's faithfulness is seen in his firm foundation. God's foundation is solid as an unmovable rock. I like to picture Half Dome in my mind. Have you ever seen Half Dome? That's a humongous granite rock. Have any of you ever climbed to the top? You have? I see a couple hands. I got to do that with my dad and brother. That is a huge, unmovable rock. Well, that is God's foundation. It is unmovable. And also, it's, it, I am reminded of Psalm 1 when I think of this because it's, it's like a magnificent cedar or a, a giant oak tree that's planted by streams of living water. And it's solid. Well, concerning God's foundation, you may say, Sam, well, what is God's foundation? Well, most commentators believe and, and tell us that it is the church of the living God, Christ's body. Remember Matthew 16? When Christ asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they went on and said, well, you're, you're this guy, you're that guy. And then he says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Christ say? That on that confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, period. God's building his church, folks. And I don't care what any false teacher tries to do. They cannot thwart the purposes and plans of God. So God's faithfulness is seen in the seal of this foundation. And that seal is this. God knows those who are his. Isn't that comforting? That we, can, that we can take the confidence that God knows his people and he calls us his children. We're not just friends. We're not just sojourners out there. We are his children, folks. Think of that. My daddy could never disown me. Oh, he could discipline me. He could be frustrated with me. But he never stopped loving me. And he never stopped calling me 
my boy. Blesses the heart. Well, we are God's possession. But we have been bought with a price. And in that, we find that it was the price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you may say, I don't want to be owned by anyone. And that's okay. You can say it all you want. But those of us that have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we are own, folks. We are own, brothers and sisters. And that's a joyous place to be for us because we are God's possession. There's lots of places in Scripture that tells us about this. John 17, 9. I, where Jesus says, I am praying for them, for they are yours. Romans 14, 8. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 1 Corinthians 3, 23. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. You are the temple of the living God. And then... 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And then 2 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And so, since... God's foundation is firm and will not fail. And since he knows his people intimately, lovingly, there's something that then we, as God's possession, we are to live faithfully and depart from iniquity. With this truth stated, Paul gives us a warning Since God knows us by ownership, then we, his children, are to depart from iniquity and do it with urgency. It is that important that we flee. He even uses that for Timothy as well. It says, flee youthful lust. Well, I got news for you folks. We old people... We have lust too, and we need to flee from that as well. We are all included in that. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, this can be accomplished. By heeding these words from Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spirits will worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, the problem, false teachers exist. One of the ways that I brought out are ways to help us to fight the good fight. It helps us to finish 
our course. And as a result then, like the Apostle Paul said in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, hopefully we can say this, we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, we have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for us the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to us on that day. I know that I put some stuff in there, I know because Paul was talking about himself, but that's got to be our hearts too, folks. At the end of our lives, and we stand before Christ, don't we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your rest? So let's fight the good fight. Let's finish the course. Let's stand for the truth of God's word. And let's battle, but do it with gentleness and love. Let us pray. Beloved Father, your word is so precious. Thank you for it. And I pray that the things that I shared tonight are helpful in our battle against false teaching because it's out there and people are swallowing it hook, line, and sinker because they have itchy ears wanting think, they want to hear things they want to hear because they cannot they cannot stand the thought of sound doctrine so help us to be faithful help us to be loving and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.